in matters that relate to the divisiveness that's been part of our political environment. I'll speak out if I feel the need to, if there's something significant. And I think it's important as I begin this new job to make it very clear uh, where I stand. Nothing for the wall, but that means it's Well, we can go starter. through this all, uh, back and forth. No. How many more times can we say no? Nothing for the wall. I was surprised at Mitt Romney. I will say this. If he fought really hard against President Obama, like he does against me, he would have won the election. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. Happy New Year. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So upcoming Senator Mitt Romney, he of the great state of Massa, Utah, does not like the tone of Trump's presidency. He doesn't like the president's character. The character of the president is a disappointment to him. Character is important to Mitt Romney in a president. Important it is. Character in such a one as the president. Okay, maybe I've been reading too many college essays, but Romney's op-ed in the Washington Post has that very decent A student, I'm not saying anything, character. Let me quote. To a great degree, Romney writes, a presidency shapes the public character of the nation. A president should unite us and inspire us to follow our better angels. A president should demonstrate the essential qualities of... That is a real yawn, you guys, and elevate the national discourse. Amazingly, this editorial, I really did doze off there, was roundly praised as scathing. But the only thing that got scathed while I was reading it was my sense of being a person who wants to read interesting things. Anyway, today my supremely interesting guest is former DOJ Flack, that's his word, and political analyst Matthew Miller. Matt has been on the show before, but it's been too long, and he's got a lot to say about both Mitt Romney and what he considers Trump's greatest act of obstruction of justice yet. I'll be back with Matt on Mitt in just a minute. But first, the tweets. Here we go with Mitt Romney. But so fast, question will be, is he a flake? I hope not. Would much prefer that Mitt focus on border security and so many other things where he can be helpful. I won big, and he didn't. He should be happy for all Republicans, be a team player, and win. For far too long, Senate Democrats have been obstructing more than 350 nominations. These great Americans left their jobs to serve our country, but can't because Dems are blocking them. Some for two years. Historic record. Past committees, but Schumer putting them on hold. Bad. Do you think it's just luck? That gas prices are so low and falling. Low gas prices are like another tax cut. Kim Jong-un says North Korea will not make or test nuclear weapons or give them to others. And he is ready to meet President Trump anytime. PBS NewsHour. I also look forward to meeting with... Chairman Kim, who realizes so well that North Korea possesses great economic potential. 
Matt, welcome back to Trumpcast and Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. So the news today that split my timeline was very incendiary. It was Mitt Romney's op-ed sort of huffing and puffing about how Trump sucks. And some people thought, as our incoming Senator Romney, that's a good place to start. We know he's going to push back. He's not talking about trying to maybe work with him or keeping silent like so many in the Senate. But then other people said, we've heard a lot of this I'm concerned from past senators and nothing's come of it. So what did you make of the op-ed? It split my timeline, too. I thought it was really a Rorschach test for a lot of people. And you yep. saw people saying, well, talk is great, but we need action. We need, yeah. you know, we need Republicans who are willing to do something. And I think that's true. I think what it ignores a little bit is a lot of the problem with Trump is not his policies or not just his policies. I mean, if, if you don't like Trump's policies, you probably wouldn't like any Republican president's policies because most of his policies, with some exceptions, the child separation is, is a great one of some of the immigration policies. A lot of his policies, big tax cuts, conservative judges, they're just things that random Republican A would do. It's not just a Trump problem. Yep. A lot of Trump's problems are his words, other things he says, his delegitimization of law enforcement mm -hmm. and of the rule of law, his attack on any independent arbiter of the truth, his mm -hmm. just constant lies, his mm -hmm. demonizations of, of immigrants. So I, for one, think that seeing more Republicans talk about that and say, you know, this is unacceptable is really important. And I think for progressives who for the last two years, have every time, you know, Paul Ryan would say something inane like, I don't respond to tweets or I don't read mm -hmm. the tweets or other senators would be, get caught in the hall and say, oh, I missed that one. Or the president has a right to his opinions. Yeah. You know, if we are going to criticize that, we ought to stand up and applaud people who actually do say something. I want to hear, because you hear this all the time, even the soft coup that seems to be disbanding, but the soft coup among senior administration officials said we love his policy or we like many of his policies, but we push back on what is impulsiveness. Sidebar, John Kelly's departure seems to have possibly shaken <laughs> some of the infrastructure around that coup. But I don't get the policy thing, frankly. I mean, I don't think his policies are distinguishable from the things he says. It doesn't seem like an appearance and reality thing to me. For one, the cabinet appointments, I mean... I don't know what Mitt Romney's position on education is, but we have Betsy DeVos. I don't know what his position on the environment is, but we have the withdrawal from the Paris Accords. I don't know what his position on Israel is, but we have the embassy moved to Jerusalem and certainly the cozying up to dictators. I mean, all those things have policy implications. Gerrymandering. And Mitt Romney was never completely ardently pro-life, right? Like, I don't right. think that if that's where everything rises and falls. I don't know what his rating is from the NRA. We could look it up. But I don't see him as someone really pushing guns. And at some point, Trump wanted to confiscate guns. So we don't even know where Trump stands on these things. I mean, I think his erraticness about immigration, about the wall, falls into the sexism, racism that Mitt Romney's alleging he's going to take him to task for. Yeah, I agree with that. And look, I, I obviously disagree with the president on all of the policies you outlined. But for example, on withdrawal from the Paris Accords, a mm -hmm. lot of Republicans agree with that policy. Mm -hmm. uh, on uh, You can kind of go down the list of Trump's policies and you will see some places where he has departed from Republican dogma completely. Mm -hmm. Trade is a good example. Mm -hmm. Some places where he has gone further than most Republicans have been willing to go. Immigration is a great example. Mm -hmm. And a lot of places, I mentioned tax cuts and judges a minute, where he's just doing what any Republican would do. Mm -hmm. So I don't really expect Republican senators or Republican congressmen really to stand up to Trump when he does things they agree with. Mm -hmm. Or even if he does things you know, slightly differently, but largely in the direction mm -hmm. that they agree with. 
it would be nice to see him do it. I mean, there's one theory that maybe if you see Trump as a threat to the nation, mm-hmm. as, as I think he is, you ought to just fight him on everything. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Republican, even on policies you agree with, you ought to just fight with him on those mm-hmm. to try to take him down to mm-hmm. remove this threat to the nation. I think that's a legitimate view to hold. But I think it's also, it's a lot to ask of Republicans. Mm-hmm. And I also think if we are going to rid ourselves of Donald Trump, either through defeating him in the next presidential election or removing him sometime short of then, and especially if we're going to remove him sometime shorter than, it's going to take getting Republicans mm-hmm. who agree with him on 90% of his policies yeah. to break with him over yeah. these other threats that I mentioned. I mean, I'm just not sure that someone like Romney does agree with him on 90% of his policies. I guess that's the thing. And one hopes he doesn't because if he believes, as we imagine a Paul Ryan does, if we believe that he has some jihad for low taxes or for abortion or whatever, that it's worth holding his nose on all these things, you know, to get someone who seemingly lies to Congress like Brett Kavanaugh confirmed. I mean, that's not a partisan issue, lying to Congress or stacking, you know, putting a Republican operative on the court. You can imagine a principled Republican objecting to that unless he has an overweening interest in either protecting the president from the Mueller investigation or abortion or guns. That doesn't strike me as Mitt Romney also, who called Russia our number one enemy. I think you might be giving maybe too much credit to Republicans uh, (laughs) across the board. I think there are deep problems with the Republican Party. I think Brett Kavanaugh was a perfect example of, you know, this kind of Corruption is not the right word for it, but this movement inside the Republican Party to take over the courts mm-hmm. that they've been working on for for mm-hmm. decades now, it was one of the it was the culmination of that. And being willing to push someone through, mm-hmm. even with just hugely apparent character flaws. Yeah. But Mitch McConnell was pushing for Brett Kavanaugh mm-hmm. every bit as hard as Donald Trump mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And there were only a few Republican senators that ever even wavered on him. Yeah. And they didn't stick with Brett Kavanaugh because of Donald Trump. Right. They stuck with Brett Kavanaugh because he's a Right-wing judge. judge. Yeah, that's right. right. And that's what they wanted to do. Right. A discussion of Brett Kavanaugh and where a Mitt Romney person might stand on questions of law and not simply partisanship. You know, Brett Kavanaugh not having a complete investigation when there were credible charges. You could, and I know nobody is remotely immaculate like this, but Mitt Romney has made a point of having fewer flies on him than Hmm. most partisans. A big part of what might build a path where Republicans can keep their dignity, keep their consistency, keep their integrity, and still turn on Trump. It's very hard, and it should be face-saving. You know, on Slow Burn, the Slate podcast about Watergate, the first season of Slow Burn, how Republicans found their way to coming around against Nixon, they had to build, as they say, a narrative that saved face for them. One of the ways that that might be done for someone like Romney is this isn't partisanship, this is crime. Right. And that gets to the question of the Department of Justice, which has been nonpartisan. And when you kick the tires of it, often filled with Republicans, Republicans are supposedly the law and order party. And you can imagine someone saying, we're for Republican platforms, but we don't want a criminal in office or someone with these unsavory Russia ties. Do you think that's a possible way that Mitt Romney could be teeing up for himself? Let me just say something about, about Romney first. Before I, yeah. I think it's very possible that Romney's motives are entirely cynical here, and he's just trying to position himself Got it. as a candidate in 2020 if Trump is either disqualified, removed from the ballot, removed from office, doesn't run again. But fine. People yeah. in politics do things for lots of motives that aren't mm-hmm. entirely pure sometimes. That said, I do think when you 
look at the way Trump eventually goes down, if he goes down, it's two things. And I think they the first is the Department of Justice finds some evidence of a crime. And there has to be an intersection with them finding evidence of a crime with Trump being so unpopular that Republicans like Romney mm-hmm. and others are willing to break with him. Mm-hmm. And it could be that evidence of a crime drives his popularity down to 25 percent, 28 percent, something like that. And that's enough for Republicans to vote to convict him. It could be that evidence of a crime combined with, say, a failing economy and the economy crashing mm-hmm. brings his public support down. And so, Fortunately, the stock market was so robust last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think the things are all wrapped up in each other. Yeah. One thing I'll say, there's a group I've done some work with called LawWorks that has done a lot of polling on this issue and huh. have found that for Republicans, even Republicans, you know, Republican voters, they, there is, other than the shoot someone on Fifth Avenue caucus, you know, the people that are just yeah. with Trump till the bitter end no yes. matter what, there are a lot of Republicans who will break for If there's evidence of a crime, mm. clear, convincing evidence of a crime, I don't think we should expect that 40% of the American population stays with him and that 80% of Republicans stay with him. It'll be lower than that. We don't know what it is. It'll depend on the evidence and how compelling it is and everything yeah. else. But I think that you hope for the rule of law still to exist. That's the way that we get to the end of this. Yasha Monk, who's now a co-host on Trumpcast, welcome Yasha, told me very soon after the election that one of his hopes was that Trump would be maximally invasive as opposed to minimally invasive like Hmm. Angela Merkel and that we would just get tired of it. And I do remember as a Democrat, I do remember thinking I just wanted Clinton to serve out his shift and go home, that at some point you just wanted a steady hand on the tiller Molly McHugh is saying, boring is back. Bring us Amy Klobuchar. (laughs) We just want a solemn ass, which is what Calvin Coolidge resolved to be as president. So it is possible, I think, as you say from LawWorks, that Republicans are just thinking, this guy is a headache. Let's get things back to normal. Yeah, it's one thing if they think he's a headache. He's obviously clearly a headache for them now. You can see it when they run away from reporters on the Hill because they don't want to talk about him. But if he becomes a threat to them, yeah. and look, he was mm. a threat to them. They just lost their House majority because right, of him. Right. But if he becomes a threat to Republican senators, people like Cory Gardner, who's up for re-election, mm-hmm. Susan Collins, who will only ever do the right thing if she feels it's in her political mm-hmm. interest, if she's mm-hmm. threatened because of it. That's when you would see them suddenly move. Politicians act because of naked self-interest. That's yeah. just, that's the business. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and if they find that he is an existential threat to their futures, you'll see them change directions. I just once again am always disappointed that there are no one, even the Mormon Mitt Romney, who we can predict with any accuracy might act on principle. But I am with you. I mean, you're a Washington insider, so I trust you. I note the insult there. (laughs) (laughs) You don't ever act on naked self-interest. You're not ever courting likes on Twitter, for example. (laughs) Say anything, it makes them laugh. All right. You and Mimi Roca, a Trump cast favorite, have written this good piece. I don't want it to get lost. It's only five days ago. Right. But it makes this very important point. I'm not even going to joke about what's the distraction from a distraction, but this is something that I think we really need to pay attention to. You believe, with Mimi Roca, that Trump's greatest assault on the Justice Department came in the form of this news that he seemingly pressured Whitaker, the acting attorney general, to... Bring prosecutors in the Southern District of New York under control. (laughs) Yes, bring prosecutors under control, right? That's sort of see your way clear to letting Mike Flynn go. It just sounds mob language, like get this under control, right? Yeah, except the point we make in our piece is it's worse than the Mike Flynn conversation because it's about an investigation into him. At least when he pressured Comey, and this is a, that's a big at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at, at least when he pressured Comey over the Mike Flynn investigation, 
Trump wasn't yet a subject of the investigation. He had been informed that by the FBI director. You could make some case. I think it's a stretch, but you could make some case that, and this is what the president's defenders early on said, he needed this Russia investigation to go away because it was hurting his ability to operate as the commander in chief to make deals on behalf of the country, that he wasn't doing it because of naked self-interest. I think that's an implausible case, but there's a case there. There's no case for what he's doing in pressuring Mm -hmm. Whitaker over the SDNY investigation other than trying to remove a threat to him, Mm -hmm. to his children, and to his business. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is just, I think, and my view and Mimi's view is that it was blatant obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. And the CNN story that broke this reporting that we wrote the piece based on moved the Friday night right before the holiday. And it moved the day the government was shutting down. And so I think it got a little bit lost over the break. But I suspect we will see more reporting about that and probably more inquiries from the Hill. And this will end up being a new thread of criminal inquiry into the president that maybe makes his Russia obstruction of justice look, I won't say mild by comparison, but maybe not even as legally threatening. So you're a justice person, a department person, former, as you say, Flack, and Mimi Rook as an SDNY person. Out of curiosity, but it actually does sort of inflect this conversation. Who has bigger egos? <laughs> SDNY considers the planet Earth their jurisdiction, but the Justice Department is the Justice Department. And SDNY, we've had two sentencing documents come out with Michael Cohen, who we're talking about here. One SDNY, one Justice Department. They're working together, but there's probably some friendly competition. What do you think? There is always some friendly competition. There are a number of people on Mueller's team who are SDNY alums. He also has some EDNY alums where we're sitting right here, the Eastern District of New York, Brooklyn, office right down the street. Mm -hmm. There are people from both of those offices, which are very much rivals, that are on Mueller's team. I will say Mueller's team probably operates less in rivalry with SDNY because they're a temporary office. You know, there's uh, yeah. no there's no long-standing rivalry right, there. M- Mueller came into existence in May of 2017 yes. and at some point will cease to exist. Yes. So, now, do prosecutors in SDNY want to build a bigger case? Of course they do. Yes. That's how, yes, that's how yes, prosecutors yes, yes. are. They want to build a bigger, better case. And one of the things about Trump is every rock you look under, you find criminality, it yeah. seems. Yeah. You have now his campaign, his private business, his White House, yeah. his inaugural committee, all under investigation. And it's not like these are just, sometimes a lot of things are under investigation. Mm -hmm. All these investigations have found criminals so far. There are criminals at every one of those entities (laughs) who have already pled guilty to crimes. Yeah. So, there's enough to it's go It's like around. one of those Heath Bar Crunch ice creams where you got the one that has all the Heath Bar. <laughs> and then we have the New York AG in the mix. Letitia James coming out, following on Barbara Underwood's vigorous Twitter feed, use of her Twitter feed to promote some of their triumphs, which, of course, are state crimes and cannot be pardoned if Trump gets out. And maybe one of the reasons that Trump will be reluctant to resign if he thinks he's going to walk out into handcuffs. What do they say in D.C. about, well, first, Barbara Underwood's brilliant work as interim bringing down the Trump Foundation? I mean, that's the biggest victory yet, I think, in the prosecution of Trump, the Trump Organization, now the Trump Foundation and so on. But what are they saying about Letitia James and the AG's office here generally? I think important for two reasons. One, just the work on the foundation itself is critically important and exposed just massive criminality. I mean, just blatant (laughs) criminality on on behalf of the foundation. Really breathtaking that he operated a foundation that way for years and years and years. The second thing, and this has become less of an issue now because of Manafort's kind of odd on-again, off-again plea agreement. But the thing that was unique to Manafort, and maybe to Gates too, but Gates is in a different category because he's a state cooperator, 
is that Manafort always had pretty clear state criminal exposure in New York and Virginia. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that Trump wants to offer a pardon or dangle a pardon to keep someone from cooperating against him, Mm -hmm. that rationale wouldn't have worked as well Mm. for Manafort because he can't remove all of Paul Manafort's criminal liability. Someone like Roger Stone, we only know a federal criminal liability he has right now. There may be state things we don't know about, but... He only probably is thinking of federal issues, which Trump can't help him on. That was never true for Manafort and for Gates. Interesting. And what about Jerome Corsi, who also some people think is angling for a pardon? I don't know what his liability is. Yeah, nothing that's become public. I mean, Are you there never, lunacy in, charges on the books <laughs> uh, in state as a state crime? One of those like Reader's Digest so. things yeah, right, of weird crimes. Uh, I don't think so. But, you know, okay. oftentimes they're old statutes yes, on exactly. the books that aren't enforced anymore. So, so, like English so, right, Yeah, exactly. Thing. So who knows? No, nothing that we've seen. Although one of the things about, and every prosecutor will tell you this, one of the things when you start looking at criminals and especially fraudsters is it's not like they operate 90% of their business and 90% of their life totally above the books and just have this one area where they commit fraud. They just tend to be criminals all over. They they commit criminal activity all over the place. So. Jerome Corsi, whether he has state exposure on some other, who knows? knows? Right now, all we know about are the line to federal investigator charges he could face. I'm just interested in how in the sort of prisoner's dilemma of Trump's decision making that's sure to come up or what he's being advised by Emmett Flood and other White House lawyers. I'm interested in how much his fear of the New York attorney. Attorney General is going to factor into his decision making. He should be worried about the New York Attorney General, but he should be worried about the Southern District of New York, I yeah, think. Yeah. Look, the campaign finance charges that Michael Cohen pled guilty to when he essentially you know, fingered the president as yeah. an undied co-conspirator, the statute of limitations uh, on those charges doesn't run until, or doesn't expire until 2021. So mm-hmm. if Trump isn't reelected or if he's removed mm-hmm. from office and if he isn't pardoned the way that Gerald Ford pardoned mm-hmm. Nixon, he could be indicted the moment he leaves office on those charges as yeah. well as obstruction. of. Ju- I think the piece that Mamie and I wrote was about him obstructing justice with relation to that case. Yes. And I guarantee you SDNY prosecutors are not going to let that drop. So that was the get SDNY under control, what he said to Whitaker. It looks like the phrase that CNN's reporting turned up was he asked him why more wasn't being done to control the SDNY. That's important to have the words around it because I'm sure you remember, and I think his son said this in his defense, what he said to Comey about Mike Flynn is, I hope you can see your way through to letting Mike Flynn go. So it was just one of those hopes. Yeah. You know, we all have hopes and dreams for the new year, and we know what that's like. But why isn't more being done to control the Southern District? Tell me what you think he's saying there, and what could Whitaker do? So it's pretty obvious. And look, Jim Comey said it was clear to him yeah. that it, the president meant it as an order. Yeah, when, yeah, you, yeah. when you ask a subordinate, or, you know, yep. why they aren't doing something, or yeah. you hope that your subordinate will do something more, it's pretty clear. And I think, like I said, I suspect we'll see more reporting that shows us more details of what actually happened. One of the reasons it's actually more damning for Trump to have this conversation with Whitaker than Comey is Mm -hmm. what a weak figure Whitaker is. Jim Comey, at least, was in a 10-year term, supposedly immune from being removed, unless the president wants to fire him and provoke a special counsel investigation, which he unwisely did. Whitaker is a temporary official. He owes everything to Donald Trump. He's in that job as long as Trump wants him to be. And Mm -hmm. if he wants another job in the administration, he has to do what Trump wants him to do. He is entirely dependent on the president. And he is only there because the president insisted that Jeff Sessions hire him at first as his chief of staff Mm -hmm. to be, as the press has reported, his eyes and ears at DOJ. So he is entirely 
entirely dependent on the president. The president knows this and is pressuring him to do something. Now, that said, I think it would be difficult for, look, it's hard for AGs to get the Southern District of New York to do things that are appropriate if Mm -hmm. they don't want to. Right, right, right. (laughs) It would be really hard for even a Senate-confirmed AG to get the Southern District of New York to do something inappropriate. And that's true about 99% of prosecutors at the Justice Also, if he pressured SDNY, they would then have firsthand witness to the obstruction. Exactly. Yeah. And because Whitaker is such a weak individual, and I can tell you, extremely unpopular inside the department, Mm -hmm. people just, they kind of have the knives out for him. Why is that? Two things. One, they think he's a hack. Yeah. Go go figure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hard to think why they believe that. And two, they see him as incredibly disloyal. Look, chiefs of staff are supposed to be there to protect their principal, the yeah. person they work for, the, yeah. the attorney, in that, his case, Jeff Sessions. And he was there undermining Jeff Sessions, trying to get his right, job. Right. There's an anecdote I hear a lot about. You remember this story about Rod Rosenstein proposing wearing a wire to go into yes, the president? Yeah, yeah. The day that that story broke, I think it was last fall, the White House had conversations with Whitaker about replacing Rosenstein on mm-hmm. an acting basis. Mm-hmm. And Sessions, I don't think, was all that popular inside the department. Mm-hmm. Rod is pretty popular inside mm-hmm. the department. He's a career DOJ person. And I've been told that not only did the career people find that pretty objectionable, but so did a lot of the Trump political appointees who just hmm. don't trust what they think he's a snake. Interesting. Okay. Another snake in the mix. As you say, they're everywhere. <laughs> so there's one more thing that you think counts as obstruction of justice or that is widely regarded as obstruction of justice. Remind me, the Comey pressure and the firing of Sessions, which I don't know. What's that investigation going to be like? Do you think Sessions has flipped? I don't know if he's flipped. I know he's been in to talk to Mueller. He did an interview with Mueller a long time ago. But there is always, to the question about flip, there's always a difference between a motivated witness yeah. and an unmotivated one. Yeah, you know, one yeah. who comes in and just answers the questions you ask them and gives you the minimal answer, and one who comes in and says, oh, by the way, this thing you didn't ask about, you ought to know about this. Yeah, the Felix Sater, I have a story to tell. Yes. Mike Flynn also said he had a story to tell. Yeah, exactly. So I think with all of Trump's behavior vis-a-vis DOJ, there are a few things that you look at. The Comey conversation about Mike Flynn is the most obvious, and mm-hmm. now this Whitaker conversation that look like by themselves, acts of obstruction of justice. And then everything else, I think, you look at, and it's the totality. It's the mosaic. (laughs) It is the mosaic when you look at everything he does to try to pressure the department, to remove sessions. And look, the president has a right to fire the attorney general. The president Mm -hmm. has a right to fire the FBI director. Mm -hmm. That in itself isn't a crime. It's not necessarily wrong. But when you remind everyone he did it in its white night gallant defense of Hillary Clinton. Yes, That's exactly. why he fired yes. Comey for his cruel mistreatment of yeah. her during the election. And Trump has always had a soft spot, That's as right. we know, for her and her suffering. Right. Um, That's right. But, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but when you fire the attorney general and then bypass the usual DOJ line of secession and appoint someone whose only apparent qualification is a stated hostility to the investigation into you, the president, it looks a little different. It looks like the reason, you know, and when you rail publicly about the attorney general recusing himself from that investigation, mm-hmm. which I, I, to me has always been one of the most damning things the president says publicly. Why would you care who oversees the investigation yes. if you hadn't done anything wrong? Right. Or if you thought that if the investigation just follows the facts and the law, I'll be fine. You only care about Sessions not recusing from the investigation if you want him to do something inappropriate, <laughs> to stop it, to squelch it, which obviously is what he does. He basically says that all the time. Yeah, yeah. The Sessions' recusal is always 
granting what you've said earlier that no one does anything on principle, that Sessions does think he has some liability there. I mean, and he did meet with Russians or just around the time that Flynn did or just before. And it is interesting that one of the things that might make people start changing their minds, even in the legislature, is if they think they have some liability or contact with the liability that's enough. That's enough to pressure them, not just losing their base, but the prospect of jail or fines or, right. you know, being in the documents. And Watergate had, what, 60-something indictments. I don't know. I'm just always wondering when anyone, when people are going to change their minds. It's surprising to me how few Romneys there have even been or Flakes or Corkers. So what do you think is going to happen? 2019. So, I mean, detailed question and then the big picture question, the detailed yeah. question, it's clear more indictments are coming from the special counsel's investigation. Yeah. You know, I think Corsi and Stone are very clearly the next in line. Mm-hmm. Could happen this Friday. Could take more time. Mm-hmm. I do think a report is likely to come at some point. Mueller has never promised that, and it's unclear whether he'll do it or whether he'll just speak in court. But I think some kind of report about obstruction of justice at the minimum is mm-hmm. likely to come at the end of this. I think that's all likely to happen in the first few months of this year. I think we will probably see some of that stuff sooner rather than later mm-hmm. and start to see kind of the end game for the Mueller investigation. In terms of what it means big picture, mm-hmm. hard to say because I do think, back to this thing we talked about a minute ago, the president's political viability, I think, depends on this question of is there clear, compelling evidence that he committed a crime mm-hmm. that Mueller can present or that the Southern District of New York can present. And I do think the Southern District of New York will have more to say this year. I mm-hmm. think I don't see how they just let go of the crimes they think he committed and wait yeah. and hope that he doesn't that he hasn't reelected. I think there's an obligation on them to present those facts publicly or present them to Congress. And then I'll say the other big thing we don't know is all these other threads of the Mueller investigation that we see little pieces of the UAE piece around mm-hmm. Elliot Brody and George Nader, mm-hmm. which you know involved among other things this meeting mm-hmm. in the Seychelles with, with Eric Prince. Yeah, with Eric Prince. Eric Prince appears very clearly to have lied to Congress. Is he facing mm-hmm. charges? There are a number of threads where we just see little pieces of them when they break into public view. Mm-hmm. We don't know whether they all. At the end of this, are there criminal charges for those people? that are independent from the Russia issue? Or is it all one big, vast conspiracy that kind of melds together? I have no idea. I don't think any of us do because we haven't seen the evidence. But I don't think this is something that lasts. I think we know the answers to all these questions well before 2019 is over. Do you think that there's a chance at all that Mueller would petition to indict, petition the Department of Justice? I think it's unlikely. Mm-hmm. I think he will respect the OLC opinion. We'll see it as, look, if OLC has, you know, has opined this way, it's not my position to request a different outcome. But one of the things about the OLC opinion, for it to be true that the president can't be indicted while he's in office, and I don't think that that's true, but it doesn't matter what I think mm-hmm. because OLC gets to decide for DOJ. Mm-hmm. For that to be true... There has to be some other mechanism of accountability, and that's Congress. It doesn't mean Congress has to impeach them. They get to make their own decision. But I think for that to be true, inherent in that is that all of the evidence or any evidence that the Department of Justice has about crimes by the president, and Mm -hmm. I think that means both crimes that Mueller finds and crimes that SDNY finds, and they've clearly found some crimes by the president, SDNY has, it all has to be turned over to Congress because otherwise that OLC memo means the president is above the law, and that just can't be true in a democracy where rule of law is one of the cornerstone foundations of the nation. 
Okay, one hopes. That is optimistic. That almost repairs your reputation for saying everyone's a cynic and a snake down there. <laughs> My guest has been Matthew Miller. He's on Twitter at Matthew A. Miller. you got to follow him. He's a former spokesman for the Department of Justice and a political analyst. Thanks for being here, Matt. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today's show. What'd you think? Say hey on Twitter and let us know. We will hear you. I'm at page 88, and the show is at Real Trumpcast. And while you're online checking out the internet, level up your podcast game for 2019 and sign up for Slate Plus. It's $35 for the first year, and you get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free. And perks, like a discount to our live show on February 7th in L.A. Go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. That's slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. We would love to see you February 7th in Los Angeles for the live show. And of course, you've got to join us on Slate Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Merritt Jacob. John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald J. Trump. You can find him on Twitter at JohnnyD23. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast. 